music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwagner. That's right, it's that time again. It is Thursday, which means it is time for another episode of the DTP Your weekly look into the lives, the inspiration, the motivation, the journeys, and the stories of entertainers, whether they be musicians, athletes, comedians, actors. We get all sorts of different people. We mix everything up in this nice little mixing pot. We call it Desert Tiger, and we fix it up and serve it to you fresh every Thursday every single week and we are so thankful for you for joining us here on desert tiger on the dtp whether you are a returning listener or maybe you're new maybe a friend brought you in maybe you just came in from the cold maybe you were scared outside no matter what brought you to the dtp we are extremely thankful that you joined us We hope that you will hit that subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on, as that really does help the show. If you're listening on our website, there are links available on our website to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everything else like that as well. So all of that is in your hands. It is capable. So please use it as you wish. So... Let's kick things off. All right, so today on the episode, we are talking to Jeffrey Stryker. Don't call him Stryker. Jeffrey Stryker, who is a folk pop musician from, well, I'm from the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, but he's from a different middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan. And he is a piano singer, songwriter, master who comes in the veins of those like Billy Joel, Elton John, those classic piano rock storytellers that can weave a yarn that takes not only your ears, but also your imagination on a journey across the chords and the bars that Mr. Jeffrey Stryker performs for you. So we're going to be giving you a look into the world of Jeffrey Stryker himself. We're going to be talking to him about his music, how he got into music, where it all started for him. We're going to be talking to him about how his music has evolved, his first album, songs about Saskatchewan, different stories about Saskatchewan, about his home, the places he's been, and the people he has seen. And from there, he sort of gets a little more personal. It's That's someone else's words, of course, but Jeffrey learns to embrace all sorts of different things in his performances, in his presentation, in his storytelling. And I hope that you guys enjoy that just as much as I do. He has played sold-out shows with symphonies. He has won contests in countries in different continents and has gotten plays all over the world. 
He has done charity different events. He has written an entire score for a musical that has been played at the Globe Theater in Regina. The man is a walking, talking, singing, songwriting masterpiece in the making, and I am extremely excited to present to you today my interview with Jeffrey, don't call him Strocker, Jeffrey Stryker. Of course, before we can get into that interview, we need to introduce you to Jeffrey's music and play you a song of his. And before we can do that, we need to pay a few bills. So I'm going to start that off by telling you guys about how you can save 10% off some killer streetwear over at Collar and Elbow. Com. If you go over to the Collar and Elbow web store when you're checking out, whether you buy a sick shirt, some comfy sweatpants, a killer hat, whatever it is you are picking up, you can save yourself 10% by using the code DTP when you are checking out. And I also need to tell you guys about how you can get one free month of Audible plus one free audiobook to get you started on Audible, to get you hearing, to get you reading, to get you learning, and to get you yearning for more information. You simply go on over to www.audible.com DTP. It's that simple. It's that easy. One free audiobook one free month of the Audible service at www.audible.com slash DTP. All right, so now that I've let you know how you can support the podcast besides sharing and subscribing, we need to get into a little bit of Jeffrey's music introduce you to this singer-songwriter so that you can hear him with your own ears. This first song I am going to be playing for you today is called Beauty in the Grey. Another view of the country from here behind the wheel Coffee shakes and high hopes Take the edge off and conceal Doubts from all directions Tonight's another stage Moth unto the lamplight Never to forsake To forsake Chart the course and say my goodbyes. I miss my friends and my family. Oh, how I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. This voice is in my head, whispering about the hunger, waiting to be fed. Some days I work for dollars. I've rolled downhill, aimed for stars, I've braved the steep inclines. I follow faith through the shadows, seeking. 
Jeffrey Straker, how's it going, man? It's going very well. You know, we have to start it again, though, because it's Straker. Oh, really? You're close, close, you're close, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. That's okay. My bad, my bad nope. entirely. It gets, it gets mispronounced so much, but I'm, I'm so used to correcting everybody, so don't worry about it. Okay, fair enough. All right, so besides that, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Super pleased that you could join us here on the DTP today. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, no worries at all. All right. So when did you end up getting into music? How did you get started with the piano? Well, my mom is the the culprit for that because um, she put myself and my siblings, my older brother and my younger sister, all into music lessons um, when we were, you know, around six or seven years old, just to give it a whirl because she's a piano player and she wanted us all to try the piano. Um, you know, she was of the belief, the same belief that I am of, that uh, that the piano is a great first instrument. And I think she was sort of thinking, "Hey, try this out, and if you want to branch into something else later, you know, that that that'd be okay too." But this is a good starting point, and I was odd in that I really liked to practice like it was like something I quite enjoyed doing um who knows why I liked I liked to impress or trying to impress Mrs. Young our local piano teacher in the rural Saskatchewan town where I was taking these lessons so uh 
she had something to do with it. You know, she was she she taught in a way that I wanted to, you know, make her think I was progressing. I guess, but mm-hmm. yeah, so those lessons were the start of everything. Okay, cool. When like what age were you when you like it was six? Like you said. Yep, I was six years old, and um, you know, it was it was pretty. It was a neat sort of situation um, in terms of getting to the lessons because. Uh, the, the, the schools, the elementary school and the high school in the little town in Saskatchewan, little town called Punishai, where I, where I was going, they didn't have an arts, um, program. There was no arts education. There was no music, etc. Um, you know, it was, there were smaller rural schools and I think mm-hmm. money was tight. So what, what we had was a fairly forward thinking principal who his rule was whenever you're, if you were taking private lessons from Mrs. Young, who would set up in a house across the street from the school, uh, you could just walk out of whatever class you were in and go to your music lesson, which is pretty generous of him. Um, Very. You know, so that's what we did. Once once a week, you'd have this half-hour lesson with Mrs. Young and, you know, get better at the piano, and, and then you'd go back to school and sort of just pick up where you left off. And it was a, it's pretty great when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's awesome that even though they weren't able to give you a music program of their own that they were willing to accommodate the growth mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was pretty pretty neat so so anyway yeah so we'd go i go once a week i take my lesson do some practicing in between and it really grew over time i mean the, the 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 more i think you i realized myself that you know although my lessons were kind of half an hour long uh, over time i gradually was practicing a little more and a little more and a little more because you know, you kind of realize after a while that the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it, right? So uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a bit of like scratching an itch for me in a way. Hmm. Fantastic. So it was something that you took to very easily. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was music in our house growing up. Music was a big part of, of like, there were so many musicians in our family and a lot of our neighbors were musicians. So, you know, I just, I got that it was a, a very, it, like... I didn't look at it as like this sort of like, uh, like I didn't look at it as this thing that I was sort of just like kind of trying out. I looked at it as this very legitimate thing that so many people around me were doing was playing an instrument. So that um, context was really important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's awesome that even in the small community that there was the conductive environment to allow the growth of what has become what i would say is a pretty successful career in music yeah it's neat to think back and you know to think how um it was really it was encouraged i mean it's not to say it was super easy because at the same time as any rural saskatchewan town was and probably kind of is i mean Mm -hmm. real the 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 thing that young boys should be doing is playing and being good at hockey um i played hockey but i wasn't very good at it i wasn't really interested in it um, like I really gravitated to music. And so it, like I was kind of a little bit like, it wasn't like freaky, but I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a different thing to be doing, you know? So, um, luckily, uh, luckily for whatever reason, I just sort of, you know, I ignored it because <laughs> I liked it so much. It didn't really matter. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, being someone from Saskatchewan who never played hockey, I can't really blame you. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. So... Um, how did your um, love of music and your teachings progress after that? Like, where did you end up going from there? 
Well, there's a certain point when um, the lessons with uh, Mrs. Young in that small town, like she handed me over to the, the, the teacher in the next town who was sort of, you know, was teaching at a bit of a higher level. And I went and studied with her for a while. And then she, after maybe sort of, I think, three, four years or whatever it was, she handed me over. She said, you know, you really should be going into the university to study with a professor. And so in grade 10, 11, and 12, I was driving, doing like an hour and a half drive in to Regina once a week to study with a professor um, at the conservatory. And it was like a really high level of classical piano studies. And like the repertoire was really heavy. Um, but it was sort of, you know, it was like you had, to, you had to go there to get that kind of um, teaching. And I was quite interested in that at the time. I mean, it also was helpful because I, I really realized through those studies that classical, like a, being a classical piano performer, like that was not my aspiration. Like it was, it was really good to realize, I was like, hey, you know what? I know what I don't want to do. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to try to become a classical piano performer. Like that's just not my cup of tea. Um, but but you know, though I really enjoyed my studies, it also helped me realize that, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but, uh, and, and you know, ultimately when I was done, those studies when I was 19, I you know, realizing that I didn't want to be a classical performer, I was like, okay, you know, I've got these great chops. Um, very grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to, music will be my hobby, I thought. And then off I go to university to study science. And I, I thought I was going to go into either medicine or dentistry or something. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and then, you know, and, then, and, and I never really thought music would be my, my jam. And then um, I, I rediscovered it in, a, in, a, in, a, in Toronto, basically. Oh, really? So what ended up taking you out to Toronto then? Well, a job. It was a job at a university. Um, I got a marketing, long, long story short, I got a marketing job out in Toronto. The company re, re, like moved me out there, which was very nice. Mm-hmm. And then I was working in this job, which was a pretty good job. And, and, you know, and I, it's not that I didn't like it, and I was, I was decent at it, but I, I, did, I simultaneously discovered this um, singer-songwriter scene in Toronto that, I, I hadn't really know I didn't know that this, this sort of existed. It was like discovering how to make crack cocaine in your bathtub. You know, it was like what? Like this happens? Like it was really weird. And so I was fascinated by it. And there were all these people, you know, putting words to music and none of them, frankly, were particularly like great musicians, but that wasn't the thing. The thing was, you know, they were they, they could all play an instrument and the focus was putting words to the music and I, and I was like oh this is really neat like I never thought of this before um and I really got into it and um you know so and I then I helped me realize you know I think what I really want to do is make music I would like I would love to have music be my thing mm-hmm. my work if you will uh in the singer songwriter vein but this is very early on right so mm-hmm. definitely it's easier said than done so I um you know, I was writing songs and singing in open mics and stuff around Toronto, <clears throat> and that was fine. And I did notice that the more time I was putting into it and returning to open mics, like there's a few people starting to come back and listen again. You know, I got a website made and, you know, tried to let people know I was doing gigs and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, just in a very small way, the more time I put into it, the more results I was getting. And so there was a point when I, I actually decided to quit the job, I thought, you know, I was talking about it with my boss. I was like, you know, I think I'm going to quit this job and just give music a roll. And they made me this, this, this job, maybe this really great offer where they said, well, what if you just do this job three days a week and then that'll give you some time to like, you know, experiment with 
like putting more time into music. And I was like, wow, that's a great, that's a great offer. Definitely. But, <laughs> no, so I did that. And then, then of course the problem was the more I had, you know, putting more time and energy into my music and I have more time to write and promote and stuff. I was then, you know, then I was seeing, although it was very small, I was seeing more results. Mm-hmm. So then the step left as curiosity was killing the cat, you know, was, well, I think the last step here would be seeing what would happen if I put all my time and energy into music. And, um, but that was really hard. Like ultimately making that choice to walk away from a, a job job mm-hmm. with a paycheck and there were benefits and like, you know, it was fairly secure well, and, and stability, and, right? <laughs> stability, and in all honesty, like there's people who go to MBA school and, and, and like really like study for years to try to get this job. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a shitty job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really hard. What I mean, what do I do? What do I do? And long story short, I, I, um, I went and visited, just by chance, uh, a great aunt of mine in her, who was in an old folks home out in Etobicoke, Ontario. And she had Alzheimer's. And I had this very profound realization of how limited our time is here on this earth, particularly with our faculties about us. And I was like, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, like, what am I waiting for? So I... Uh, I quit my job, recorded a CD, and off I went. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of condensing it, but I mean that is, gen- that is pretty much the gist of the story. Like the big kick in the pants to go do what I ultimately knew I wanted to try mm-hmm. was visit to this great aunt in an old folks home, and she had Alzheimer's, and I had this realization that you know there is no reason to wait for anything. Like just try it, right? Yeah. Luckily, my my parents gave me a really good upbringing and made me realize like you can try anything. You might not succeed the odds you know in fact odds are that you probably won't succeed at many of the things you do try in life but give it a try right so off i went and um it was very i mean it's music is very it's a very hard it's very hard work it, it's never ending you have to hustle constantly um at the outset results were small and slow but they were there and and i never had grand aspirations of wanting to be you know overnight like Justin Bieber, like that was that was never anything I had my sight set on. I was like, I just want to be able to make this be my living, mm-hmm. and uh, and it you know it it was certainly from the first year I carved out enough of a living to make it be my living, and it's got better ever since. Awesome. So, what was that first album? Was that Songs from Highway Fifteen? That that is the one. Yeah. Okay, so that one was pretty based on your life in Saskatchewan, was it not? It was all songs and stories, exactly, like you said, all songs and stories of um, people and places in Saskatchewan. Most of them weren't about me. They were about mm-hmm. uh, people and places that I observed um, either growing up or in visits back to Saskatchewan when I was living in Toronto. So, um, you know, I didn't understand how it was going to be received. I had no idea. I mean, it was you know kind of a folky piano record. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of production just some like you know um a first kick at the can at the songs but what i i think what i've learned in hindsight through that was um especially at the time it's changed a bit now but saskatchewan is one of those places that um though it has spawned lots of musicians and songwriters there's not a lot of people writing about Saskatchewan, for example, like, like there are, but in comparison to say the Maritimes, mm-hmm. where their lexicon of words and music 
about their geography is ginormous. We don't do it the same. And so, and it wasn't that I set out trying to add to that sort of, you know, um, were discography or poetry or whatever about the prairies. I wasn't trying to do that. But, you know, I, it wasn't in my mind. But sort of unconsciously, that's kind of what I did. Like, I made this record of songs about the prairies, and people really responded really well. So it worked quite well. People really, people started to come to little shows, and they're buying the CD, and, and it was a really nice beginning. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So then how did your music progress from there? Because like, having an album that's basically based on stories and people from Saskatchewan, I mean, how, how did your music and your songwriting evolve like through Step Right Up and your albums after that? Well, it was interesting because, I mean, I just like, if no one ever gives you a handbook, on how to do, you know, quote unquote music, just like mm-hmm. they don't do a handbook on how to go be an author. Like you just kind of, you got to figure it out as you go along. And my next record, I was writing songs, um, you know, just whatever was coming to me out of the time, the record ended up being Step Right Up. And by, and, and uh, I went to a staff music workshop <clears throat> and this producer, Justin Gray, who was doing part of the workshop, became really interested in, in what I was writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, approached me after the workshop and said, "Hey, you know, I'd like to to, to record some of this." And, um, and you know, and I, I mean, and I was flattered. And 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 uh, we went off and made the record that became "Step Right Up." And 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 it was a very poppy record in comparison to my first record. Um, and we made part of it in Toronto and part of it in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's a long story why that happened, but it, it made sense. Um, it made sense. And you know, then I released it, and and like on like it's a very different sound than anything I had made up till that point. It's a very different sound than anything I've made ever since, because um, it's quite it's quite sort of like pop cabaret sounding and a yeah. pretty pretty polished production. And you know, it's not it's not where my ship is pointed now. The crazy thing is, like, it's sold, like I've sold over like I think seven or eight thousand copies of that at shows. And like, you know, of course, now that I have other records out, it's not like I'm sell- my new records are selling are what I sell at shows now. But mm-hmm. I mean, at the time, people bought more of that record in any record, it was the strangest thing. And I mean, what I since learned, like, there's people who win Junos who don't sell 7,000 CDs. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand that it was quite significant, actually. Um, so I'm really proud of that record. And some people who come to my shows, um, they, you know, that's, that's the one that they like. But I mean, now my stuff is way more sort of rootsy-folky, and that's really what, mm-hmm. what I see is me. Um, because from, from Step Right Up, um, that record, I mean, what I did learn was that like like people were really uh, you know they were saying nice things about my lyrics and reviewers were saying nice things about my lyrics and and so what I I think over time what I've done is I've I've just sort of you know I've I've probably migrated subconsciously to a more folk root sound a because I really like that sound it's kind of actually what I grew up with but yeah. b b it's a sound that allows listeners I think to really focus on the lyrics and the story that the lyrics are telling. Mm-hmm. Did that change back to the folk thing sort of happen over like the progression of your albums? Was that just like a certain decision you decided to make on this latest album, or how did that work? Well, I don't like it. It's probably I guess it was gradual. I mean, there's always been like I think the the artistic director of the Calgary Folk Club has put it best. I think, and I mean, you know, she uh, she books she gets like I don't know. 
a thousand at least applications from from acts across the country to perform at her folk club. It's a very it's like sort of the granddaddy of all folk clubs in the country, mm-hmm. um, and like she's heard she heard some of my songs and she's become a really big fan. And she said, you know, she said it's so funny. She said she said you're such a folk songwriter, but she said you some sometimes you serve up those folk folk songs with a pop blanket, you know, wrapped around them. She said she said but. She said anybody who listens to like folk music would like they would obviously hear the stories in your songs, and that's why she became such a big fan. She you know she booked me a couple times for her folk club. Mm-hmm. So even though the the sonics wrapped around these lyrics were was you know quite poppy during when I made my Step Right Up record, and over the next sort of I guess four or so records, mm-hmm. it's less poppy. I actually think the lyrics have always been kind of you know similar in, in, in that. They've been telling stories, and they've been recounting, and they've been chronicling. You know, it's 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 just sort of what I feel natural doing. Mm-hmm. Dirt Road Confessionals is said to be your most personal storytelling of it all. Is like, is that just because you've become more comfortable over time, or what's the reason for that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was a reviewer who said that, and I mean, mm-hmm. I'm always in hearing what people say um i mean i i would i would like to think that each of my records has been kind of personal because it's like words and feelings coming out of me that i'm setting mm-hmm. um but probably like this one you know it's got it it does it just does have some very personal um story songs in it i mean one thing i a thing that some of my past albums did was it had songs that were stories about other people, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether it was you know a person from my small town I grew up in to a song actually about the great Aunt Mary who had Alzheimer's to you know etc. Like a lot of observing and recounting and people like which is a very folk thing to do and mm-hmm. people um, listeners really appreciated that. But on this record, um, there's a very personal song. There's a song called Walking Shoes that's a, that's a, that's dedicated to my dad and it's a, it's a thank you song to my dad for, you know, being a good dad. Um, and there's, there's a song called Thousand Miles Away that's like a love song that I'm singing to Saskatchewan. Although, like, I don't say the word Saskatchewan in it, but, it, it, but it's a love song to a geography. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, a lot of people have heard that song and they're like, oh my goodness, like that, that could be a song about like a lover, but I totally get that it's about, you know, a geography. You know, so there are, there are some very personal feelings on it um, that I'm very proud of the way they, they, they've, they've come across. Um, I mean, again, I mean, I, I, who knows? There's probably listeners out there who are like, who would say, oh, that's not your most personal album at all, <laughs> because everyone has different thoughts, right? Yeah, definitely. This album took a little bit of work to record. You guys did it in five studios, is that correct? Yeah, I think it ended up being five studios, and that was sort of part of my my uh, my wish with it, was that... All of my past records have all been made with one producer um, in one studio, uh, or like you know, one producer, and maybe maybe we've been using a couple studios or whatever, just because of you know, you do the big room to do like the five off the floor band stuff, and then go to a smaller room to do vocals or something. But it was always one producer, and so this time around, I had all these producers that I sort of met through my travels and my my work and festival playing or whatever that I wanted to work with, and I was like, I asked myself, I was like, why? Why do people generally think you need to use <clears throat> only one producer to make a record? And of course, the answer that people would tell themselves is that it's for cohesiveness across your record. 
um, would be answer one. Answer two is that logistically, doing it with one person is simply easier. Like it's like it's like you know one set of communication, one set of emails, you know one person to align with, etc. But you know, I thought, well, what's the what's the risk with trying this with like having say, if there are twelve songs on the record or ten songs, and having five producers each do two songs? Well, you know, a risk if you want to call it that would be that maybe your your record doesn't sound cohesive. Like, that could, that could be a risk. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know, it's my voice and my piano playing across all the songs, and, you know, my songwriting. So there's a pretty firm through line across all these songs, and I'm going to be present in the studio as each of these producers is bringing these to life. So I understand the continuity. Um, and as I, real, as I talked it through to myself, I was like, there is no risk. <laughs> you know, there's really no... like the. The, the logistically, it, it's obviously harder because you're traveling to different people or they're traveling to you and it involves a bit more airfare and finding some accommodation, etc. But, you know, my, 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 uh, my hope was that I wanted to have the songs across the album sounding fresh. Because to be honest with you, I've heard an awful lot of records where one producer makes them and, and everything sounds the same. And so that's, that's the risk of using one producer who is afraid to be adventurous. Um, you know, everything, like, like, sonically, it's boring. So, and I didn't want that. Um, so, you know, I was like, you know, I convinced myself that for this record, the right thing to do was um, work with these various people who I really trusted and really liked the past sounds that they'd made. And, the, and, and their, their past work wasn't all, you know, completely different from each other. And I was like, let's, let's do this. So I'm really happy I did it. I'm really happy with the record. That's awesome. I really actually enjoy the thought process behind that and how just like weighing the risks of just doing it with one producer as opposed to multiple. Like I actually, that's a really good way to look at it. And another one, I mean, of course, too, like there's there's an economic part of it, too, that weighs into it, too. Like if you I, I like I, I've never actually sort of like priced it out this way. But it was, I'm thinking from my collective past experience, you know, if you're doing a full record with the producer, you kind of get a bit more of a deal by doing more songs with one person. So mm-hmm. economically play into this too. I, I didn't care about that too much. I had a pretty hefty factor grant that paid for a good chunk of the record. Um, and I had, I think I had, I had some funding from creative Saskatchewan as well. So, you know, um, I wasn't, you know, and of course I paid for a portion of it too, but mm-hmm. you know, economics didn't really play into it. I was, because to me at the end of the day, I was like, what will make this music sound the best? That was sort of like the ultimate driving factor, right? So, mm-hmm. awesome. So, let's get into some of the lyrics behind some of the songs on Dirt Road Confessional. Let's get into one of the singles off that album that has a very fun music video, Boom Boom. Boom Boom. Can you tell me about that one? Well, Boom Boom is a, boom boom is a love song um, at the heart of it. It's a fun, up-tempo love song. And... Um, it was one that had been bouncing around in my head for quite some time. Uh, and finally, and, and, and in fact, I think I had it even written, maybe even one of the first songs written just after my last record. And I, and I, just, I wasn't really sure if it would go on a, on a record. Because I was like, well, I wonder if this would fit with other songs. But as I, as I, sat, as I sat with the producer who worked on that one, Brad, Brad Prosco in Regina, mm-hmm. and realized that it could come to life in a really almost country roots kind of way, 
um, I was like, yeah, this is a great, fun song. And, and a lot of people have, have really liked it on the recording, so pretty happy with it. Awesome. Uh, what was making the uh, music video f- like for that one? Getting all different people to get videos and everything. Was it difficult to get input on that, or how did that all come together? Well, a lot. So the music video is set in a, a, a photo booth in a mall. Um, okay. And um, so it involves an awful lot of people getting in and out of this booth doing photos. Um, and, it's, and it's people along with something that they love. Because the, the song is, you're putting back a little boom boom in my heart. So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, getting your heart ticking a little bit faster. And it's sort of a fun play on that. And so people are entering this photo booth with you know, a person they love, a child they love, uh, like, you know, or a, a pet or a photo of someone or something they've loved. Like it's, it's this video of love it's, it, mm-hmm. and it's fun. And oh. so, luckily, the video production company that I worked with out of Regina, they're called Wavelength Entertainment. They, they did the scheduling, but, like, collectively, them and myself, like, we, we used social media to round up the people. And it was actually not hard to get people to offer up their time to be in the video. The, the hardest part, which is what the video production company did, was, like, scheduling in the shoot, because that was a lot of people to schedule in. But, but God bless them, um, mm-hmm. Chris. Oh, and and uh, Steve Allen from Wavelength Entertainment. They're so darn good. So it was great working with them. Fantastic. That's great to hear. It's it's a really awesome video to watch. Yeah. Uh, let's get into another song on the album, one of my personal favorites, I think. Queen of Broken Souls. Ah. The Queen of Broken Souls was actually written... Um, Gosh, I want to say like maybe three, four years ago, uh, three years ago, with a, with a, a co-writer in Toronto. Her name is Karen Kazowski, former Winnipeg girl, and now she she was in Toronto for quite a while. And I believe she's actually living in Nashville now. But she's a really wonderful writer, and she's a she's actually working mostly as a, a producer these days um, with some pretty you know up and coming. Like I, I actually think. Like, we'll be hearing lots about Karen in, like, two years. Everyone will be like, oh, my God, I want to work with Karen because I was cute. So she, her and I co-wrote this song. And it's set, like, it's a very much a story song. And it's set in a piano bar, probably in Las Vegas, but I'm not really sure. And um, there's this washed-up rock star woman playing the piano and singing, singing cover songs, of course, in a smoky piano bar. Everyone's sitting around at the bar drinking, not really listening to her. And it is every musician's worst nightmare mm-hmm. and and she's you know she's sort of in her head she's recalling where she once was that she was this rock star singing in big audiences and now that's all done mm-hmm. gotta make a living and she's singing cover songs in the piano bar and it's a very sad song but people really like it <laughs> it it hits a chord uh, it just does well that's good i'm glad you like it I, I really do. I mean, solid work on the album overall. I've been crushing it for the last week since we booked this interview, and I am just love it just as much as when it came out. <laughs> a lot. Well, and that one in particular, like, I know when Karen and I sat down, we're like, you know, we, we thought, writing-wise, we thought um, we thought it would be a bit Leon Russell, Elton John-ish. You know, that's sort of how it was evolving. And then when I went to produce it, it was actually the last. I wasn't sure it was going to fit sonically on this record. And then once the record, the 11, there were 11 songs done. And I was like, man, there's a, there's a story that this record is telling. But there's a missing chapter. 
because um, the record very much overall, just to talk about this for a second, talks to um, two sort of themes that, that, that are juxtaposed. Like one is the idea of a musician being on the road out there chasing a dream, you know, which, which, which we all kind of do. Like we're not, mm. you know, we're not like, we're not like, um, what's the word? Like, like failingly chasing a dream. Like we're, we're out there, like we're, we're living a dream, you know, but in the process of we're, we're, we're running around a lot, kind of chasing things. Right. So there's, there's artists doing that, but, but what you have to, what you give up in doing that is you give up a quote unquote normal life where you're in one place all the time, which allows you to, you know, have a partner, <laughs> have, mm-hmm. Have a plant, <laughs> you know, and so, so stability and chasing a dream of being on the go. Those two themes butted heads, and so when I put the eleven songs together, I was like, man, there's something missing here. And then I realized, oh my god, the Queen of Broken Soul song—that's the missing chapter in this book. Um, so that it made it on the record, and I went to Robin Delonto uh, in Toronto, who's also now living in Nashville as of last year, and I said, hey, Robin, I've got this piano ballad that I think you'd do a great job producing, and she jumped on it and she did such a great job mm-hmm. solid work all around <laughs> all right jeffrey i have so many more questions to ask you i need to we need to talk about how you've gotten into working with symphonies i want to talk to you about the recent musical you ended up working on all these different things in fact, I even want to ask you about what some of your favorite songs in your catalog are. But of course, before I do that, I need to tell the fine listeners here at the DTP a little bit more about Collar and Elbow. You already heard me tell you about how using the code DTP when you are checking out a Collar and Elbow is going to save you 10% on this fantastic looking streetwear. But did you hear me tell you about just how comfortable the collar and elbow clothing is? Just how stylish, how sleek, how, mmm, how, just how it fits. And they have so many sizes for so many different body types, and they look good on everybody. Go and check out the store right now. There's so many different items for so many different types of personalities. And Collar and Elbow actually encourages that you alter and customize their clothing, that you tag them in these photos, because they like to stay on the cutting edge of fashion, and they want to know what the people like. So head on over to the Collar and Elbow store, pick up yourself some clothing, use the code DTP, save yourself 10%, Everybody wins, you save money, you look good, that's what you want. Okay, so you guys are going to hear a bit more about this song when I get back into this interview with Jeffrey Stryker, but right now, this is Get What You Give. You might pray for love, try to coax it your way, cross your fingers to the point of breaking. Just need a place for your heart to go To soothe the aching With those three words you got tucked At the back of your mind You know what you want But it's hard to describe You go looking for it Or let it find you But 
pretend to kill some time Place poetic quotes in a whole picture frames And wishbones and clover and fallen star games It's hope reaching out, trying to tap on the shoulder of fate Oh, do you fear for the break? Hold on to what ifs Know the truth of the heart lies And lessons you live When it comes to love it seems You get what you give The stranger you were too scared to say hello to Moments slip by like a ghost in you Were caught between what's meant to be And what it meant to you Those three words sitting there At the back of your throat You want to move them to your lips Where they matter the most Be proud you said it Wear that smile around like the warmest winter Love it seems You get what you give While a pawn shop is selling off old wedding rings You feel a tug at your sagging heartstrings A widow places flowers on a grave She's been tending You see newlywed tears under confetti spray Couple one table over with nothing left to say Words struggle to hold the heavy of all that weight But you put it together and you come to know The greater the heart, the more cracks it can hold While a small part of you knows that at some point it might be too late So Hold on to what ifs Know the truth of the heart lies And lessons you live When it comes to love it seems You get what you give Love it seems You get what you give
That is a truly beautiful song, you guys. And like I said, you're going to hear more about Get What You Give when I ask Jeffrey himself about what some of his favorite songs from over his 12 years of releasing music are. But of course, before I get into that, I need to tell you guys a little bit more about Audible. Audible is a fantastic audiobook service, and if you're like me, maybe you're spending a lot of time on the road, doing dishes, walking the dog, maybe you're at work, mowing the lawn, whatever it is you're doing, maybe you just don't have the time to actually sit down and look at a good book. Well, that's where Audible and Desert Tiger come in. If you go to www.audible.com, slash DTP, not only are you going to get one free month of the Audible service, but you're also going to get one free audiobook. They give you a token that you can use on any book that is in the Audible system. What, no matter what it costs, no matter what the genre, no matter what it is. If you need an Audible book suggestion, may I suggest Love is the Cure, written by and narrated by Elton John himself. You can get your hands on your free copy of Love is the Cure by going on over to www.audible.com DTP. Alright you guys, without further ado, it's time to get back into this interview with Jeffrey Stryker. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Okay, do you have, I know this is asking, like, asking a parent to pick their favorite child, but do you have any favorite songs from your catalog? Any ones that truly strike a chord with you yourself or mean the most to you? Hmm. I mean, there's probably, there's a few off this last record that are sort of my, my current favorites of mine, I guess. Um, one is the first song, Beauty in the Grey. And um, it's because it sort of sums up how I view what it is that I do, mm-hmm. which is, write songs, get in the car, and drive all over the country and like fly to Europe and Latin America to perform them. And, the, and, the, and the, basically, the song Beauty, Beauty in the Grey, which is the opening track, is all about the idea that if you, let, if you open yourself up to the possibility, there are wonderful surprises to be had and to be seen anywhere if you let yourself see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of how... I've learned to live each day, which sounds a little Pollyanna, but it's true. Like, I've really learned to embrace the notion that, like, you know, I don't know what next week's going to bring, but it could be fun if I approach it with the idea that it could be fun. (laughs) You know, if I look at next week and say next week's going to suck, next week's probably going to (laughs) suck. So, you know, I don't. I I really look at things with through the lens of it, it could be something really neat here. And um, so that song sort of, to me, sums up how I'm approaching, not just music, but I think like, you know, my life in general. And uh, so that's why it's kind of my current favorite. And people really like it at shows too, which is lovely that, you know, um, it also goes over well with an audience. And then there's probably like, I mean, 
there's a few more off this record. There's, there's one called Get What You Give, which is sort of a song about the notion of love being reciprocal in that, you know, if you're ever sitting around having a bum day thinking like, oh, you know, the world's conspiring against me and like something this, this day is not going well, like what my, my current thinking is anyway, is that like what one should do is ask themselves, uh, well, how much good, how much quote unquote good or love or whatever are you putting out into the world? Because what you're going to get back is directly proportionate. <laughs> and I'm a believer that what you're getting back, you know, is a reflection of what you've been putting out. So the, the song is all about that. Um, last one I'll mention is uh, way back off uh, Highway, songs from Highway 15 in 2006, mm-hmm. um, a song called The Wonderful Mrs. Bell, which is still kind of a favorite shows, which is the weirdest thing to me. Um, but um, it's a song about a lady of East Indian descent who lived in my small prairie town of Punishai where I grew up and uh, our town was mostly First Nations people and you know white people of some European descent and um, there was this family, the Bells, and Mrs. Bell from that family was very traditional and she wore a sari in like in around the streets and she had a bindi mark on her forehead and, and you know, she was just like doing her, she was wearing her culture, really, mm-hmm. she was where she was from, but she looked in the process of doing that, she looked very different and um, people, as a result, didn't really talk to her. And the song is about that. And um, it's really amazing how I'll be, like, in the merch line at the after show, and, like, people will come up and they'll say, like, oh, my, is that song Mrs. Bell? Like, I'm kind of Mrs. Bell. And it'll be, like, you know, some big white trucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's fascinating. Like, I, you know, because it, it's literally a song about, Mrs. Bell. But people somehow, for some reason, are really able to insert themselves into her, which is, you know, into her persona, which is quite um, fascinating to me to this day. Well, it's, it is. Everybody sort of draws their own feeling from a song and their own conclusion from it. So to know that people are able to connect with that character and feel like that character, it's, that's... That, really stands to like for your songwriting ability i i hope i hope so you know like it, it but the weird thing was like i was really green when i when i wrote that song and and i and there's a weird lesson to be learned in that i think um which i you know i i don't think i've learned it yet but i mean there, there's something about it where like i wasn't trying to do anything with the song i wasn't trying to teach a lesson i was literally telling a story um, and within the story, somewhere deep within its layers, there is a lesson, but I wasn't trying to write the lesson. I was, you know, so there's something there that I'm sure I'll figure out someday, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's, fun, it's fun to see it sort of doing its thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the road through the stories and the faces, it'll just click for you, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so you've done quite a bit of touring on the road. You've played multiple different festivals, different countries. Do you have any favorite experiences or stories from your travels? Oh, gosh. Um, well, there's quite a few. I mean, there's so many experiences. Part of, part of my problem these days is I'm on the go so much that it's kind of all blurring together. Um, I mean, there's a few... 
specific things that really stand out. Like, there was a concert I did with the full Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra in TCU Place in Saskatoon in 2013. You know, the room was sold out. There were, like, 2,100 people there. It was, like, a full symphony orchestra and me and a band. And, like, um, it wasn't the first full orchestra show I'd done. I think it was, like, it was like the second full orchestra show that I'd done at that point yeah. in time. Um, so, you know, but... Um, first time playing with that orchestra, and, and it was one of those nights where I've never been able to figure out how to make this happen, but all the stars aligned, the audience was on fire, the orchestra was, like, energized, the band killed it, and, like, it was such a crazy night that I still had people come up, coming up to me in Saskatoon and talking about it. Like, it's it was really weird, but wonderfully weird, you know? So that one has always stood out to me. Um, and then, on the total flip side, like, there have been moments, like one thing I play, I like playing is, is house concerts. I don't know, like, you know, um, I'm sure your listeners you might know what they are, but essentially it's like a concert in someone's living room. Yeah. And um, you're playing generally to a minimum of 25 people, but it can they can be as big as, depending on the house, like 60 or 70 people. But some of those nights in like in people's living room with everyone who's listening to you within eyesight and you can see everyone's facial expression and you can, and it's pin drop quiet and everyone's listening. And like, those can be such magic moments, you know? Um, and I do sort of like about 15 or 20 of those in a year. I do about 120 shows in total a year. So like, you know, those are neat little moments where, cause you can get kind of caught up in the, or caught up in like ripping around from show to show. And, um, the pace of it can be like a lot, but I find house concerts like once you get to it and set up and play for those those audiences in those very intimate settings, mm-hmm. they're very therapeutic. You know, they they really remind you why you're doing this. Pretty neat. Definitely, it was actually I was talking with my girlfriend last night where I was saying there's this venue in Kamloops that I that is literally just this couple's basement that houses 35 people, and I was like, man, it would be. Perfect for Jeffrey. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, well, no, I'm I'm curious. Is it called? Uh, wait a second. There's something I just heard of in Kamloops. Uh, no, I think the one I heard of was a cafe. It was some kind of cafe. What is this? What is this one called? Maybe I've heard of it. Basement. No, that's a great name for a basement. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, no, it's uh, literally you just set up a show with them and then like everybody that comes is just you have to say that you're RVSPing and yep. it's just 35 people inside this couple's basement and it's a fantastic little environment. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they're very lovely events. Yes, they are. It's just so connected and... It's got this neat little community feel to it, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And unlike a, uh, a bar or, you know, some of the places you would end up playing at when you tour, where invariably, not every night but often, there's someone who doesn't understand that if there's a singer-songwriter singing, you should probably shut up and listen. Um, house concerts never have that problem. Like the... The rule, the unspoken rule, and sometimes the spoken rule, just to remind people at a house concert, is that you listen. And that's partly why they're so wonderful, because rooms where, like smaller rooms, where un, like uninterrupted listening happens, they're fewer, fewer and far between. Like it's, So house concerts are a real gem. 
Yes, they definitely are. Okay, so let's get into some of your influences. Who were your high school idols? Who are the musicians that you couldn't live without? Oh, it's so funny because I was like, I was a weird high school kid. I mean, I was listening to actually a lot of classical music um, eh, because I was studying so much of it. But, but I mean, when I was listening to what I guess people would call pop music, um, it was pretty folky. Like, I liked Joni Mitchell, and I liked Neil Young, and I liked, um, uh, like, Gordon Lightfoot and stuff like that. You know, it was really... Um, storytelling music that I really liked. Now, at the same time, that's what I really, really, really liked. Now, I had vices, of course. Like, oh, my God. Like, I listened to all sorts of pop and um, all that, all that too. And, I, and even when I was, like, a little, little, little kid, like, my parents had a lot of, like, country music going on at their house. Like, their records and eight tracks for, like, country music and stuff, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, but really, for me, it, it's always been sort of pretty folky stuff that I, that I like. But, of course, Probably who I gravitated to, like I remember sort of discovering when I when I kind of discovered Billy Joel, um, that was pretty magical because there was this guy who wrote his words and his his music, performed it on the piano with a pop um, sort of in a pop envelope, but it was really story songs. Like when you listen, like the, the, his songs tell stories. Like at the end of the day, like more so than Elton John's. Elton John's. Uh, uh, the lyrics that Elton John sings as a singer, as the other sort of famous singer pianist, um, it's more, I would say, poetry to music, whereas Billy Joel, I would say, is more stories to music. Um, and, uh, you know, it, each of those things made them very popular and famous. Um, but for some reason, um, I really liked, I really loved early Billy Joel. Like, I just, I thought it was so fascinating that this guy, you know, as a kid took piano lessons and then ended up doing that. It was, Really neat. Mm-hmm. No, I love Billy Joel, so I understand that entirely. <laughs> and of course, like early, early Elton stuff too. I mean, as a singer, as a someone who ended up um, playing piano and singing, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. I listened to a lot of you know Elton John and and checked out what it was that he was doing. Another one was uh, was Ray Charles. Like I really loved Ray Charles, and I still do. Um, what he did in taking, especially some more traditional um, gospel songs and sort of like, you know, putting them on his Ray Charles steroids, like it was, it's pretty neat the way he sort of morphed it. Um, and such a great musician and such a great voice. Um, and, and, and at the same time, another one of the, of the sort of, I guess I'd put her in more of a folk categorization, but she's, she has had some pretty big pop songs is Carol King. Like I, I loved and do love Carol King. And um, the thing about her that I always thought was fascinating was like her words ripped my heart out. I never, ever thought she was a good singer. Like I was like, Carol, I, like if someone said, who's a great singer? Like she honestly would be nowhere near the top of my list. But it didn't matter because her voice really matched. Somehow it told her lyrics so well. And people like her or people like Willie Nelson or people like Johnny Cash, um, all taught me, you know, indirectly, that you don't have to be a quote-unquote stellar, you know, 
perfect vocalist to mm-hmm. be a good singer, that in fact, probably, and I, and I do believe this, that in fact, an imperfect voice, you know, in, in the truest sense of like, you know, being studied, uh, an imperfect voice is better, like more character in a voice, giving it something really identifiable is better. And, and I've never found myself to be like, you know, I, I would never say I'm the world's most incredible vocalist, but, but I've had it played back to me. And like people say, oh, you know, if I hear you singing a song, I definitely know it's you, which, which, I'm, really, which I'm really grateful for, for, you know, for better or for worse. I mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but all that, but yeah. But so all those, all those were acts that for various reasons I was listening to. Awesome. Awesome. It sounds like a very, very good um, collection to draw inspiration from. It's pretty eclectic, you know. At the same, at the same time, like my parents had like all the ABBA records. You know? Like, yeah, you know. So I remember, like, we'd I'd like put those on the turntable and like you know blare those too because you know they they were there to play. And I mean, there's lessons to be learned there in terms of like why why have they sold the most records ever in the history of records? You know, like, like it, it's pretty crazy. Um, so if if you sort of listen and and it, I I can guarantee you, it's not really about those songs it's not about the stories that's going through the lyrics like i swear when you really listen to abba songs like like some of the lyrics god bless them are horrific but that but it's a but 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 that doesn't matter like what you have to look at is like that clearly didn't affect their ability to connect with people like you know i swear it's back translated swedish like it's some of the, the lyrics are preposterous but but it's still fun you know and even their love songs connected with people you know like they did something obviously incredibly right so i i'm a firm believer like there's lessons like even if i if i'm listening to a record that someone lent me or a cd that someone throws in my car or says listen to this on spotify even if it's something that i might not say this isn't my jam i often listen um anyway but through the filter of you know what what are they doing what what are they what are they what are they saying how are they saying it um, you know, it, it's, there's, you can learn, from, you can learn from, from everywhere, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I just love exploring new music, which is probably why everything I listened to in this, you know, in this high school time you're talking about was so eclectic. Cause like, I kind of, there wasn't anything I didn't really like, except heavy metal. I never really liked that. My brother was a headbanger. I wasn't. <laughs> Understandable. I mean, one's got to go a different direction, right? That's right. Ah, all right. So what does the future hold for Jeffrey Stryker? Oh, my goodness. If I knew, I'd be working on it. No, I mean, so I guess a couple things. So I'm I, my last so my last record, Dirt Road Confessional, was very good to me by way of bookings. Like, I, I crossed Canada once. I crossed it again a, a half time. And by the end of this year, I'll have crossed the country again a full time. Um, so two national tours, um, a tour of Europe and shows in Latin America. Um, I see some more, you know, uh, uh, there's a 2019 European tour happening. There's more Latin American dates. There's tons of Canadian gigs all throughout the year. Uh, debut at the National Arts Center in, in November. Um, a return gig to, with the Saskatoon Symphony at TCU Place in October. The full orchestra playing to a couple thousand people again. So like there's some very sweet gigs coming up and, you know, I'm I'm busier than I want to be, which which is good. Like my mantra with the with with working in the arts is when it rains, run around with a bucket because 
you know, it might stop raining. So, but but my problem in all this, to, to, to start answering your question, is that I really have to start doing more, like more, carving out more time for writing. Um, and uh, because I've got to think of the next album. So is the next album an EP? Is it an LP? Is it a series of singles? I'm working on that now. So my my next 18 months will definitely see a new record being released. Um, I just, I don't know yet what that's going to be. So I'm, but I'm very excited about the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the score for a, a musical, which is a first for me. Um, it rehearsed and got its first run, a 20-show run at Regina's Globe Theater uh, with a playwright, uh, Kelly Jo Burke. It's a Saskatchewan playwright. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was, was was received very well. And so now that looks like it, it will have second and third productions um, elsewhere in the country. Oh, so wow. Take, yeah, so that'll, that'll take some time um, to work on that a bit more. You know, it, it, it will need some edits, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and then somewhere in that I've got to breathe a bit. <laughs> so I'll try to do that, too. Definitely. How did you end up getting into working with the Globe Theater? Well... It, oh, it, it's a long story, but I'll make it. I'll make it short, or I'll try. The, the deal was, Kelly Joe wrote a play. Yeah. And so it was a she, and she reached out to me and said, "Hey, I love your 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 songs. There's a four of them in particular that I think would fit really well in this play, like an incidental music. Do you mind if I use them?" And I said, "You know, knock yourself out." But you know, can I read the script just for fun? And I read her script, and I really loved it. And it's a story set at a camp, a fictitious camp for LGBTQ youth only. Like, only queer young kids can go to this camp. Yeah. I was like, well, that's a really fantastic idea because mm-hmm. the crux of the story was, so what happens when you're, you, know, you, live, you live your life being different, but what happens then when you're spending time at a summer camp where you're no longer different? Like, so what happens then? I was like, God, that's a great, that's a great question. Like, I love, it I is. love. So... I says to her, I says, you know what? I want to write you four new songs instead of using these existing songs. I'll make you something that will fit even better. And then four became eight, became 12, became 17, and then the play became a musical. So it was a very weird, you know, um, I kind of, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. Like, I really loved her story, and, and she was really liking the, the songs I was writing to fit with the story. So, you know, you know, and then, so at a certain point, it started evolving as a, you know, she was re-editing the script and I was writing songs to the re-edited script. And it became this very much a collaboration. And so um, it uh, it was received really well. And then we basically, we did a thing to read through. Just a, you know, some of the scenes, her reading them and me singing some of the songs a year and a half ago at kind of a, like a, a house concert setting in Regina. And like 80 people bought tickets and just came to hear what we were doing. And one of the people at the show was the artistic director of the Globe Theater. And she really, she really liked what she heard, and she made us an offer to license it. So that's, I mean, it was very weird, very weird how it happened, but it was really wonderful. And um, I learned so much about writing. Like, as a songwriter, it was an incredible experience because what I was doing at then, I was writing songs that were from the thoughts and feelings of the characters in the play, not me. So this, these were not my experiences I was writing about. These weren't my feelings. These weren't my thoughts. These were all the the background and the life of, of characters that lived in Kelly Joe's head. And I was having to write from that perspective. And and what a writing challenge that was! Like really wonderful. Like I learned so much. So um, 
grateful for the experience and like who knows maybe someday when I have you know three more years <laughs> to write another score we'll make another one <laughs> <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully someday I can also see it for myself yeah I hope so too that's it as if I was still in Regina I definitely would have made it out to it <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully it plays in D.C. somewhere near you, and if it does, I will let you know. If it does, I will drive to wherever it is playing in B.C. Okay. Okay. All right. So, before I ask you my last question, where can my listeners and your listeners find you? Two places I'll point people to, and thank you for asking that question. So, first place I would point people to is my website, which is jeffstraker.com. J-E-F-F-S-T-R-A-K-E-R.com. And that has, like, um, a homepage feed of, like, recent news. And there's also um, uh, a music player there. And there's a list of all my updated concerts. Um, And you can also grab CDs off there if you want to. The second place I'd point people to is just Spotify. Um, Everything I've ever, almost, almost everything, not everything, but almost everything I've recorded is on Spotify and, like, for better or for worse, you can listen to it all for free there. So, so um, do go, if you're interested in hearing some of the songs I've talked about, go to Spotify and, and, and have a listen um, and see what you think. All right, fantastic. All right, so last question. If you could say one thing to your fans, your supporters over the now 12 years of you releasing music, touring, and chasing this dream, what would you say to them? Oh, I would have to just say thank you, you know? Um, first of all, in life, I don't think we pause enough and say thank you. It, it, we're in such a rush these days that, that thank you has, has almost become a forgotten phrase in a way. Um, I try to do it as much as I can. But for sure, to these people who who bought a, whoever bought my music, listened to my music, shared my music, or particularly like bought a ticket to a show and, and came and experienced one of my live shows, just like, I have to say a heartfelt thank you so much because... It allow- that that is what has enabled me and allowed me to do what it is that I love to do and have it become my work. Um, and 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 the crazy thing is, I'm blessed to do something that does not feel like work. It's just it's time that I spend each day, and uh, I am very grateful for that. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for doing the chat. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm extremely blessed. Thank you. Alright you guys, it's that time where we need to give a big old desert tiger thank you to Jeffrey Stryker for joining us here on the podcast and sharing his stories, his experiences, and his journey with you and me on the DTP. I also need to take this time to thank you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger podcast, Like I said earlier, whether you're returning or whether you're new to this dance, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it amongst your friends or whoever you think would enjoy it. If you enjoyed the show and you have yet to subscribe, we are available on multiple platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and CastBox. We're literally on over 40 different services 
So please get out there and subscribe to one of them. You can also find us at our website, www.deserttigerentertainment.com, which is going to be getting a serious upgrade soon. Keep your eyes open for that. You can connect with us on social media if you guys want to. We're on Facebook, we are on Instagram, and of course we are on Twitter. You can look up Desert Tiger Podcast on all of them. On Facebook, we're Desert Tiger Entertainment, but looking up Desert Tiger alone will help lead you to our page where you can like us and stay in touch with what is next and what is fresh here with the DTP. We have some very exciting shows coming up in the future here. We have a lot of variation. We have a lot of different musicians. We're going to have different athletes with different levels of talent, with different stories to tell. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. So like I said, you guys want to subscribe now because you do not want to miss out on anything that we have coming up here in the future of the Desert Tiger Podcast. So, like we like to do things, you know we either like to end things off with a song or a quote. So today we're going to end things off with a little bit of a quote to get you inspired, motivated, put a little bit of fire inside you so that you can tackle your day. So this is a quote from Sir Elton John himself. Music has healing power. It has the ability to take people out of themselves for a few hours. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.